everybody. Welcome to the ninth edition of Cult Following, the podcast brought to you by the fine folks who bring you cult classics AZ every month at the Pollock Tempe Cinemas. Check us out this month for Record Story Day on April 18th, where we're screening Purple Rain. And our, our lovely podcast this month is actually going to be Record Store Day themed as we talk about soundtracks. I'm one of your three hosts this week. I'm Victor Marino. Along with Adam Rukowski. Wait, you're one of the four. That's right, four. We have a special guest star this time. Hi, my name's Jason. <laughs> no, hi, I'm Adam. And we also have Kirby. Hello. And our special guest star for this edition is Jason Woodbury from Z Records. Hey, guys. Hey, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who haven't seen you at the lovely Zia Merch booth every month at Cold Classics? Uh, well, if you haven't seen me there, you may have seen me at the stores, Zia Records, or uh, out and about. I, In addition to working for Zia, I write about music here in Phoenix and uh, work for um, a bunch of outlets, including a Los Angeles-based blog called aquarium drunkard and i host a radio show here in phoenix the audio ranch with uh john dixon on kwss which uh, airs every sunday night from 5 to 7 p.m on 93.9 can we find that online anywhere you can you can you can find uh our podcast at mixcloud.com uh, backslash audio ranch radio and then of course we're on facebook and twitter and we post the links to the podcast there as well awesome well I think you as a fine listener, I'm speaking to the royal you, of course, will find that Jason has a lot of awesome opinions on music, and you'll want to remember that later if you like his point of view or want to argue with him contrarily. Yeah. But uh, just as <laughs> just as we start off every episode, you know, we've all had a lot of fun this week in the world of film, and, uh, you know, me and Kirby have had some fun experiences this weekend, and uh, we want, we'll want to talk about that. But Adam, what did you watch this week? Well, you piqued my interest. Uh, and then I put my list like way over here. I keep doing that. I know. It happened in the you other can one. Hear it okay, here I got it. Okay. The boonies. I got to put in a sound effect of me like running. Uh, oh, I caught up on a few things that you guys mentioned uh, in previous uh, podcast history. The house that October built. I think that Kirby, was one of Kirby's Kirby? picks. Yep. Kirby, that was one that was one of your picks, one of your 2014s. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was okay. Uh, it was kind of let down by the end, but you know, um, I, I really didn't think it was that bad as far as that type of uh, docu horror found footage, found yeah. footage this is kind a of found thing. footage film. Okay, uh, in, in a sorts, yeah, yeah, where these kids are doing this documentary on on the uh, these these horror um, haunted houses across the country, and then the rumors of like the ultimate scary evil you know people that will just scare the crap out of you so that's you know and and, and it was good it was a nice slow build i think that's yeah. what you said last well, I time i think i liked the idea more than i liked sure. the film but it worked yeah regardless it wasn't, it wasn't bad mm-hmm. uh that's that wasn't that was a netflix thing so that's out there that's now and that's yeah there ain't right. a lot to netflix by the way so keep your eyes out mm. uh something you mentioned last time uh victor going clear i watched the scientology oh what did you think of that oh god because i i'm not gonna talk bad about scientology <laughs> 
I love my Scientology. Your, your lawyers right. are not good enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, boy, I tell you, I just, I just love uh, documentaries like that. I'll just, I'll just say it like that. SNL that did a, a really one. funny skit not too long ago, parroting that. I've heard they've done a good set. We are yeah. the world one. Yeah, you need good. to see yeah. that. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, anything about Scientology, I think, is just a good send up. Uh, then a couple other things. I did see the guest finally after talking oh, about it what did you think every single podcast i, I again this kind of goes back to the john wick thing goes back to the equalizer maybe it's just not my thing mm, the throwback kind of, a, kind the of throwback a, thing didn't grab you i mean it was i mean it wasn't necessarily a revenge story but it kind of had that feel to it mm. um then there were just some derivative things what that, did the you dad think really about the soundtrack I don't know. I guess I didn't pay attention to the soundtrack. Mm. I was kind of like cleaning my office and watching it at the same time. Gotcha. So I didn't, it didn't demand you all didn't my attention. You didn't have a sexy dance party in the middle of it? I did. <laughs> I dropped the disco ball and I turned on the lights. it's pretty hot. Um, but I don't know. It was, it was okay. I, I, you know, I think it's worth seeing, but you know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't knock my socks off. Uh, and then I would probably the last thing that I'll mention is I saw about a son the uh, Kurt Cobain documentary. Oh, yeah. oh. And that was really good. Is it that was, on Netflix now? Yes. Okay. No, no. no. Um, it's on YouTube. Actually. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. So you I'll can watch the whole thing out. on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if it's a distributor that released it that way. It didn't seem like it, because it's been sitting there since like 2011. Oh. So if it if they actually had an issue, it'd be it would be off. Exactly. Courtney now. Love killed the uh, distributor. No, I think yeah, that's, that's Kurt Courtney. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that documentary doesn't hold up over time. By but the way. about a son was really it was really interesting that the way that they put it together. It was a montage of different video sequences, um, either ones that they shot or. Um, um, I don't even think it was necessarily found footage. Maybe it was all original original material. Yeah, that's what I think I remember it being was kind of like vis- like a right. video landscape kind of. Right, because yeah. it had it had nothing to nothing with Kurt Cobain in no. it except for the, the when they right. kind of did like some yeah. I think the things. one that's coming out now, A Life of Heck, is the first one that actually can use Kurt Cobain's oh, like, video image, and videos uh, and stuff. Is it well, isn't a montage of Heck? Is what it's called? That's it. A that's it. Montage of Heck. Yeah. yeah, I was just looking it up because. Yeah, I I knew there was a new one coming out, but I, I haven't seen I haven't seen it or about a boy or about, about a, a boy about a son. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. No, I really want to see about a, a, montage, a montage of, of heck. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. um, write your hate a letters. A lot of Cobain dude. docs. Yeah, Sorry. well, it has a lot of interesting animated like stuff I've seen in the yeah. trailer. Didn't mean to jump into. Oh no, it. no, no, it looks no, really good. Yeah. I always keep hoping someone will actually do a full on documentary worthy of uh michael azared's come as you are which is like the oh, definitive yeah. nirvana biography right. right but um you know maybe find kurt loader and bring <laughs> him out too i mean it, that was just awesome i mean i, I love I that miss I, I'm, kurt loader i watched yeah. the hell what's out his of name kurt from loader 120 yeah. minutes matt matt Pinfield. yeah Pat Minfield, yeah. He's, <laughs> hey, let me tell both. you something about this awesome track. Yeah, yeah. I was always, I always, always have bragging rights that uh, I was. Uh, there was a long Kirby Cobain year period, and I actually saw Nirvana's last American show. Oh, that's so, awesome! And they're wow. still one of my all-time favorite bands. It's it, it holds up, but yeah. On the documentary tip, I was actually more excited when they did the uh, the the live and loud the recent two concert films at mtv the live at the paramount theater one they did a few years ago oh right i think you guys presented that i remember seeing that at madcap yeah and then there was also the live i think it was live and loud was the one at um 
that they also did that was broadcast on MTV around like Christmas in 93. And that one was spectacular. They just put that one out a few years ago. But yeah, not as many good. So I'm excited the Montage of Heck one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one looks like fun. Uh, and then one last thing was his Queen uh, Day, Days of Our Lives documentary that was done in the uk Hmm. it was a two-parter series again i was just like looking for stuff on youtube as i was kind of doing stuff around the house i've seen so many on freddie mercury i love freddie mercury he's like my favorite singer of all time and showman but i never really knew a whole lot about queen and this was a great documentary this is another one you can find on youtube um highly recommended especially if you want to know more about the other guys in the group and them you know being being interviewed and clean the other guys the other guys in the group (laughs) but yeah no that one was really good yeah yeah um so uh me and uh kirby went out to uh the loft this weekend for uh the all night screamorama they do it, I think, I think once or twice a year, and it's uh, pre- co-presented by Zia, and uh, it's just, just a bunch of uh, horror movies from 7 p.m. till like 7 a.m. on Friday, and what did we see? We saw... So, we saw... It, the nice part is they do a lot of 35-millimeter prints, so if you're a real aficionado, I mean, this is definitely the place... I think the loft is all that's left that does them in Arizona. Yeah, the loft is the only theater yeah. in Arizona that still and they, shows they movies They just do a great job with their presentations. This was actually my third Screamorama. It was my and, first one. Yeah, and they it is. I always have a great time. Um, they did a really good selection. Uh, we got their little like rise. It was starring, so we saw um, the UK X-ray cut of Friday the Thirteenth. It even had the BBC X rating on it, yeah. which was well, fun. The original print is beautiful print. Um, and then Suspiria, the uh, British. That was also like the unrated uncut version hmm. um and man does that opening the bombast in that visually and audio was awesome yeah i've actually i'm pretty sure i've actually seen that exact yeah, same print that before um but it was really nice seeing that on the big screen because they opened it up and it was like cinerama style so nice. yeah That's huge awesome. opening victor and i actually stayed awake for tremors we both were playing yeah that was nap. the one we were planning on sleeping through yet somehow we stayed completely oh, no, awake yeah, no for way. it and that was actually way more fun than i remember yeah, yeah. i saw it theatrically when it came out and i have, probably haven't seen it since then and man i haven't yeah i haven't seen it since sci-fi channel it actually surprisingly holds up it feels really current especially like michael gross's character could totally be a tea party guy and it could be set now (laughs) oh yeah it's very much like the uh the survivalist kind of uh series now kind of stuff but uh it was great but uh we both went down i I mean at least i know it was mine victor i know was really excited for was um getting to see a beautiful print of the fly yeah i think the fly was like the the main attraction because like after that like a bunch it started to clear out then i'm assuming the cronenberg yeah Yeah. it was just funny to me because like i I guess i become so used to like uh jeff goldblum as like a comedic character or character actor the last few years that like the movie now has like this weird comedic vibe to it that like (laughs) i didn't remember because it's been so long since i saw it so it's like his manic edge just feels like funny now right yeah it's, it's weird sort of been recontextualized yeah in exactly. recent years but i don't think it was i mean yeah initially i don't think anybody was 
thought of him as like a hilarious mm. guy. They no, thought he I was. Didn't. I don't think anyone thought him as hot either. But <laughs> you know, in in the least uh, most heterosexual yeah. way, I can say this. Like, I mean, like that and Earth Girls are easy. Also, a Gina Davis vehicle when they were right. together. Yeah, I mean, it, they go to a lot of lengths to cast him as a sex symbol, and <laughs> his his well, mullet yeah. just doesn't quite. quite <laughs> There's work that whole me. bit in the movie after he teleports himself, where he's doing like yoga and gymnastics, and like seeing that with like a pack house just hooting and hollering was just so funny and bizarre and then after that there was, that was a, the other thing we can say is that there were a lot of people who have never seen any of those films oh it was so, far. so strange were, like uh there was some girls behind us we were watching friday the 13th and they were completely expecting jason to pop up at some point huh. as the killer so when it turned out to be <laughs> mrs Voorhees, like there was this like what's going on here spoiler thing. alert yeah, yeah like literally like they're like what's this old lady doing here where's jason it was it was especially awesome because this is the second time i've gotten to see us theatrically seeing near someone who had was not expecting the ending yeah. the the jump scare was was definitely gold mm-hmm. so a lot of fun and then uh it was the incredible melting man oh god, oh, god. Yeah. we died during that it was just like it, i i stayed away for like five minutes of that movie and then it was like that's a short running time i think it's 80 minutes or so and yeah. it feels like 160 if you've ever it, seen it like a uk shit like like garth Marenghi's dark place where they like ju- like oh well we had to pad them out through slow motion that's right. this movie in a Uh-oh. nutshell so much slow well, mystery motion. science theater it, yeah. does it yeah yeah it was it was enjoyable i mean i love melt movies i'm a huge street trash body melt slime city fan but this one is by far the hardest to get through like without a doubt uh, the rick baker effects awesome but other than that yeah there's nothing really yeah. that can be said about it so that was definitely somewhere towards the end was nap time yeah and, and then, then it was uh, wolf, wolf creek which in 35 millimeter thir- for its yeah. 10th anniversary uh, I'm a fan. I know Victor isn't, but both of us slept because we're just yeah. too tired. We had, we'd hit know. the eight-hour mark at that point. Yeah, Bushwick torture oh, porn doesn't man. do it for me. And then the, they closed I out. I worked all day and drove down to Tucson. <laughs> Fuck you, man. That's all I and can do. Th- I will say the loft seats no are windows. not built for sleeping at all. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable trying to get anything like into a despite having been to two previous ones i really forgot the pillows and blankets to the way i should have but um i was oh it was a uh, how sue how sue was the, the closer, closer which uh, that's always an awesome movie and it's always cool seeing that with a crowd who like uh has never seen it before for for those of you who don't know how sue it's a 1977 japanese quote-unquote horror movie um it was like one of the first movies by this uh, commercial director in japan and like literally it's like what did we call it? we've talked about it before it's yeah. like a live action scooby-doo directed Dar- by dario argento, argento. and this uh, this is one of the reasons why i want to go to the screamerama because it's probably the closest i'll ever get to the suspiria house double feature sandwich in between five right. other movies <laughs> yeah. But, like, when they're, you know, it's a crazy movie, especially, like, you know, there's cut and paste, like, you know, scenes flying around, like, you know, a guy gets killed by being turned into a pile of bananas, like... It, that sounds odd. I've never seen this Oh, film. no. It's, oh, you, if yeah. you have Hulu Plus, incredible. if you have Hulu yeah. Plus, it's on the Criterion section. Oh, yes, and I You do. need to watch it. It is 
fucking amazing. That's yeah. all I'm saying. This is one of the great Criterion Lost Films collection. Yeah, this is yeah. probably the seventh time I've seen this movie on the big screen. That's how much I like this movie. <laughs> I drove out to LA once to see this as a double feature. Housey with Goke Body Snatcher from Hell, which is also Criterion, and also batshit fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but yeah, good movies, both. Definitely an interesting um, breakfast film as the sun is rising. Oh, yeah. And it also has all these like crazy musical numbers in it, which are just random and awesome. There's like a part where like there's a musical number where like there's a guy cobbling shoes and there's like an actual monkey wearing overalls sitting right next to him for no reason at all. Just that's that's just there. And yeah, just there. That's it. And it doesn't come back or anything. It's just literally a one shot thing you see. And like, that's a monkey wearing overalls. No explanation. Explanations not included. It should have been the cover. Um, I also want to say Victor and I not to boast ourselves up too much but we totally killed in trivia in between movies with us walking away with some nice prizes no if we had been louder and drunker like some of the other guests that's guess who uh guessed incorrectly we probably would have really uh owned some souls but it, i i want to say uh, more seriously though it was a lot of they the loft put so much work into this um they it's just so much fun the the crazy in between trivia and stuff like that they have and the uh prizes and the, um, the pre-show videos in between all the movies. oh yeah yeah all the they get some great vintage trailers i want to say seeing the eyeball trailer and uh dr uh, black, black and mr high was the highlight because that one was like at 3 a.m and i think i was sleeping and i jolted up the second i heard the funkadelic sounds <laughs> oh, yeah. of fear no because that one you need to watch this trailer you guys just look it up on youtube miss uh mr black and dr hyde it's all it's awesome for the jive guy doing narration over all of it it's like do you have enough jive to stay alive will you survive when it's mr black and dr hyde that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's awesome and amazing. It's good to have your voice back and not be sick. So thank actually, God, yeah, sound jiving. <laughs> <laughs> so how late do they do they serve beer at the? And does, oh yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah no, so I wasn't trying two. to be mean. I just I'm there curious. was a lot of people. I mean, it yeah, was like it goes, 8 p.m. They, and they serve were beer until two a.m. Right. They have a security guy come in and make sure you chug it or throw it away. Then right. they start serving beer again at six a.m. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what I kind of figured. Yeah, that, that would be. Uh, that's a, yeah, that'd be incredible. Yeah, they gotta, check your bags when you're going and make sure you don't have alcohol, but anything yeah. else is fair game. So that was cool. Yeah, it's just very, just a very welcoming environment. I love the loft. It is one of my favorite parts of Tucson. I yeah. just always have fun. It's also nice that there's, like for me, there's a Whole Foods and there's a Zia next door. So yeah, it's just right like, across the street. It's just a nice, they did unfortunately move Guyin's, which is the best Chinese restaurant in Tucson. It moved down the street, has not yet reopened, praying right yeah. now i went down to the loft last month for the screening of the uh edward abbey documentary wrenched he's the uh environmentalist who uh well famously taught at u of a and okay. uh, it was i mean it was pretty cool the mm-hmm. the director was there and i mean it was it was a, it was a good documentary it was one that it didn't know if it wanted to be a documentary about him or about the monkey wrench environmental movement at oh, large yeah. so it, it kind of tried to do both and I feel like it maybe would have been better if they had picked one of those subjects. Uh, and probably it should have been just focused on Edward Abbey, because although he's been passed away for, for a while now, the archival footage of him was incredible. And then afterwards, they did a, a Q&A, and it got uh, 
really weird and awesome because there's a bunch of people there. Um, you know, I guess you could say radical environmentalists who, oh. who, who kind of wanted to uh, to like get the people on stage to justify like monkey wrenching stuff here and there. Mm-hmm. It was it was really interesting. It was huh. it was a fun experience. And the loft is yeah, it's such a cool place to hang out, and uh, it seems like it really it has a great a crowd you know yeah that, that, that I, I wish we had something like the loft here in phoenix and hopefully the draft house when that opens up will kind of fill that void a little bit but we i think we've all had fun going there like me adam and his wife we all went down there to see john dies at the end and don yeah, coscarelli don was, yeah, was, was there, there for that one that's too. awesome and that was really good he signed my Masters of Horror trading card. It was it was awesome. He was he was so nice. I've interviewed him uh, once before, and just one of the most genial and genuine people I think you'll ever meet in your life. Like I, there was such a huge line for stuff for signing, and I felt so bad. I'm like I, I I'm gonna go. He's like, oh man, stay and talk. I'm like, no, there's like 80 people, dude. <laughs> like you gotta be yeah you, you know gotta be considerate. But um, what else have you seen, Victor? Uh, I saw, well, just kind of wrap up my little thing, I guess. I saw this one movie on Netflix that was pretty interesting called um, The Lookalike. Um, and it has uh, Jerry O'Connell, Ugh. Justin Long, mm. um, John Corbett, Stephen Bauer, and Jillian Jacobs in it. And it's kind of trying to be like this. <laughs> I just like Adam's review of it right there. It's very like much a B movie, but it's like a weird little story where um, basically Stephen Bauer and John Corbett play some gangsters who are trying to um, sure. secure a specific woman for this, their, this mob boss whose business they're trying to get that he's fixated on. Who's played by Jillian Jacobs and Stephen Bauer, who's basically playing Al Pacino and Scarface, which has been his career like pretty much the last 20 years accidentally kills Jillian Jacobs. So, um, he has to find a lookalike for her. And thankfully Jillian Jacobs has, a tool role in this movie. I'm not spoiling it because oh, I thought she, Jerry O'Connell was no. a yeah, lookalike. So he <laughs> no. gets Jerry O'Connell money. Yeah. And I'm not spoiling it like this thing with uh, Jillian Jacobs dying. She, this happens in the first five minutes of the movie. So it's really quick and they just cut to the story. But it, it's nice seeing Jillian Jacobs and stuff. I really like her on Community. So that's pretty much the only reason I watched it. It's, it's a fun B movie. It's totally trying to be like... Um, Is Jerry O'Connell shirtless in this one? No. Well, yes, he is actually. Uh, no, not yeah, but yeah, it's pretty much just trying. I, to- I prefer like the chunkier. Jerry yeah, it, he has a weird little story where yeah. he's like <laughs> yeah. a drug dealer trying to get out of the drug game so he can get a well, why cooking he try show. To, why doesn't he try to get Network. out of movies? <laughs> Pretty much, he already get out nailed of Hollywood. Re- yeah, he's got Rebecca Romaine Stamos waiting for him at home. Yeah, no, not say. anymore. Oh, oh no! Wait, no, wait. Yeah, no, I was thinking John Stamos. Yeah. They used, yeah, that's because it used to be. Yeah, your People right. magazine mm-hmm. subscription is. Yeah, it's lapsed. Yes. Man, it's yeah. lapsed. <laughs> um, you know what I thought of recently, just as a quick aside, is that does anybody actually remember watching that Munsters reboot? Yes. Oh, pilot? yeah. And Jerry O'Connell plays Herman Munster. Munster. Yes. Yeah, and it's just one of those things like what I watched it? it and didn't didn't remember, but I remember it's one of the most expensive pilots ever shot in uh, television right. yeah, history. Yeah, 1313 Mockingbird. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I never saw it, but I. I uh, it, I can't remember who else was in it. It didn't sound terrible uh, to had, me. I think but I didn't uh, see Portia the, de Rossi might yeah, have been. Portia yeah, Portia I think she was Lily Munster. Oh, who was it? The it was British actor. And uh, uh, Eddie Izzard was, was Grandpa. Eddie Izzard. Yeah, that see, so I, I loved the both of them. 
Like, uh, I think Portia de Rossi's been great in yeah. everything well, that I've seen The thing seen that in. was funny was, because that didn't get picked up, uh, I think it was uh, the showrunner who did that was the same guy who did Wonder Falls and Pushing Daisies, and that was going to be his next show, but it didn't get picked up, so now he does Hannibal. Brian Fuller. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just didn't, it didn't have the spirit of the original no. show. Yeah. Yeah, I, to, I mean, I I feel like I should. I it's should worth try. a watch. Yeah, I think it's also on Hulu Plus. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Okay, Hulu. okay. Because I mean, I, and I love Eddie. Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Is, yeah, he was I mean, good in it. I thought, but what was the show that he the the riches the riches? Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever saw anything beyond the first season of that. I liked the first. That's season. That's one of those shows I think was probably good for one season, and it just like I, Heroes yeah. should have been be one sure. season. That yeah. is that is gospel truth yeah. right there. <laughs> that was probably one of my most. In, Namored shows I just and I didn't see it originally when it was broadcast I it was a DVD in the late 90s that I started watching I was like oh god this is so good and then season two came out that mm. that changed really fast but um did you see the Daredevil too wasn't that your no other I'm not done with that not yet. done with that yeah no. well I did catch up with um a uh, recommendation here finally as we were discussing or adam was i finally saw nightcrawler oh, oh okay. what did yeah, you yeah. think i liked it i i really liked the premise of it i want and just never got a chance to see it but i really enjoyed it it um it didn't deliver as far as i wanted it to mm-hmm. and i understand that's within a mainstream confines I would have gone a little bit further and darker. I feel like that's can probably believe, believe. the closest we would get, get to Taxi Driver sure. today. Yeah, but I really, I mean, he does, I'm not a huge Jake Gyllenhaal fan. He did do a great job. It's got an excellent supporting cast. It worked. The pacing for me was a little off in spots, um, but I also really, in retrospect, don't know what else they could have done to make it different, but... It, right. it was worth it. I mean, it's probably one I'll watch again. Yeah. See how I feel. Um, and that was a thing for me. It just it kind of lingered in my mind after I watched it. Yeah. And that's usually a good mm-hmm. good sign. I'll mention I did see um, the Iron Sheik documentary that just appeared on Netflix, but uh-huh. I'm going to do a review of that, so we'll talk about that later. I've been catching up. I just noticed um, Amazon Prime added the uh streaming uh are you afraid of the dark episodes oh so man i've only had well, really i'm gonna have to watch that this week yeah I've, I've only had some really bad bootlegs for years so and i didn't want to pay for the canadian import dvds um so it's kind of nice i hope it gets a i mean it has gotten a little bit of a you know release for a few of the seasons but checking it out again and then uh last but not least i uh i took one for the team and i watched dracula untold <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's my reaction. Yeah, I have visual herpes now. It, it <laughs> ocular. It was it was bad, man. I mean, I and this is somebody who has a really strange soft spot for uh, Van Helsing. So I'm really not one to talk. But it is. I, I don't even know what the hell is going on with this movie. <laughs> it was so boring. I couldn't even pay attention to it half the time. I don't know what they're going for because we talked about before this Universal Monsters reboot, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know Luke Evans was the guy, right? The the, yeah. the, the uh, protagonist is Dracula. It, it just, it's, yeah, it's not even Van Helsing. It's more like a straight underworld is, but right. not even that. It's not even that. It's just mishmash stuff. The only part I liked was at the end um, without, I don't want to give too much away, but it does take one really dark turn at the very end that 
was like, oh my God, there might be some amount of life in this. And they'll rip out the steak. It's done. I mean, like, I just want to stab it through the DVD itself. There was just no point. I mean, it was it was over. Wow. So I, I'm going to say uh, stay far, far away until I, it hits Netflix. I will throw in one thing. The last time we had talked about I, Frankenstein, and we had oh, yes. I, Wait, out is, loud. Is an excellent other... companion piece to this. Out loud, we had wondered, this really feels like an Underworld movie. So... I watched Underworld not that long ago, I think last week when I was sick, and um, there's a really deep-voiced werewolf guy in that movie. So, it turns out he is actually the writer of Underworld, and he also wrote I, Frankenstein. Right. Who who is it? Do you remember his name? Uh, no, I don't. But he's. I've just, never. I've because I've never seen any of the underworld movies. Before we go any further, should I? Are they? Are you talking about Ray's? Is it the the Michael? Yes, Ray's. The Michael yes, the Clark, Michael Clark, Clark Duncan, Duncan guy. Werewolf. He wrote okay. I Frankenstein and Underworld, and it turns out he has a PhD in some in something along the lines of uh, genetics, Crapper- Were- werewolfology. Yeah. So basically, he just took what he learned in school and applied it to werewolves. And he also writes comic books that are basically exactly the same. And I Frankenstein is based on a comic book he wrote. <laughs> okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's some insight. Well, because... I'll, I'll answer Jason's question. I was not a fan of the Underworld series. Okay. Not the first one or any of the other ones. I all I know is the when Paul F. Tompkins plays Len Wiseman on Comedy Bang bang the podcast <laughs> and he adopts like an in- insane voice that i don't think that that's possibly how lynn weissman sounds and talks about <laughs> sex parties and and being married to kate beckinsale or whatever oh. uh yeah so yeah. I, well, it's just weird so I have, man. no I, that's the my that's only kind of like <laughs> incestuous though because like of the len weissman kate beckinsale and the guy who played lucian was her right. ex-husband michael right. sheen yeah 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 michael they, sheen so you got all those guys that it's just that's just bizarre, i just picture man. i just picture uh len weissman and uh you know paul paul anderson ws anderson yeah, yeah, yeah just walking around they show up at you know director orgies or something giving themselves well, ho- <laughs> high fives how's mila how's kate i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i because I've, I've done so little research but i but i listen to comedy bang bang most weeks you should be getting a phd in this uh, man this yeah. is serious business and, and paul paul f tompkins will just constantly talk about sex parties I'm yeah like, oh, i'm lynn Wiseman. i like sex parties like and it's this voice that has i i can't imagine that he sounds anything like that what he has sort of like, doing a like, like a, a Vincent Price yeah, Halloween like old, special well, sort of talking like about eyes wide shut yeah like, uh, yeah what? it's all it's all references to sex parties and and things of that nature and, and him with uh, leftover underworld costumes and stuff yeah well yeah, yeah. And, and, and he'll talk about the oh you know like they'll ask about the movies and be like oh they're very good you should watch them you know like he's, he's really into <laughs> it but I but I I so I've almost become curious at one point they had uh, Amy Mann on and she agreed to come over. And watch the Underworld movies with, uh, with I, I guess, Len Weisman, but it's not Len Weisman, it's yeah. Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah, so. I don't think they're completely unwatchable. I think... Uh, they, look like, as, they look sort of like like post-Matrix. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it's like... Supernatural yeah. action. I'm, I'm right. willing to defend the second film especially okay. as a great example of ultra-violence. I look at it like Blade 2. It's just so over the top and I awesome. love Blade 2, though. Yeah, Blade, Blade 2 is such is a perfect film. I'm not putting those on the same pedestal because they're not, but I do think Underworld, I remember watching people and they were just not prepared for the level of gore in it. I mean, it's very violent. So is the fourth film. The third film was completely forgettable but I, the, uh, I, yeah I, along those lines i mean the vampire bites in underworld like literally look like a dog bit them it's ugh. scary to look at yeah so it works but i mean they're just 
I think it's that was just more of like, you know, we're gonna make a movie for people on vampirefreaks.com like i'm pretty sure that was <laughs> right. like yep. they created like a hot topic franchise but not hot topic like the same way like it's is that part of the, the like, starter no. pack it could be but not really because it has to be like i always find like we we talked about this on a previous podcast jason where it's like what is the hot topic starter pack for film yeah so yeah. it's like pulp well, fiction actually, donnie darko itself well toward our topic that's true that's true all right that's let's true. get started on that unless you know, oh jason what have you been watching just real yeah real love quick. Here. real quick well uh, not real quick because we just took all this damn time <laughs> but yeah, real quick because i actually want to hear get it get going uh i started daredevil this weekend uh i have not had much time there's so many things on my list and actually when uh you guys asked me to come on i was like there's like five things that i need to watch and get caught up on based on a lot of your guys' recommendations i meant to watch whiplash still mm-hmm. haven't done it that's a good Wonderful. movie uh awesome. there's there's a uh a documentary about the wrecking crew the la based session players who mm-hmm. oh who, who yeah, played yeah, yeah. On, uh, that's it, on my vod short list yeah like yeah. every record that you love from the 60s you know if it's like in terms of uh i mean they were on the beach but pet sounds is brian wilson and all these session guys like the other beach boys mm-hmm, are, right. are barely there uh and then of course they're you know in like on simon and garfunkel records and they're everywhere so i, I meant to watch that um and i didn't uh <laughs> But I did. I, let's see. This week, so I started Daredevil. I'm only a couple episodes mm-hmm. in. Same here. Didn't love the first episode, uh, but am enjoying it more as it goes. Yeah, I think I'm like halfway in, and I didn't think I would like the origin thing so much. But actually, it's it's pretty well done. Those so. have been some of my favorite. Uh, yeah, but the flashbacks. But again, I, I'm not super far in. Yeah, uh, I think we. I just met uh, Kingpin. Finally. Yeah, uh, and he's pretty good. I really enjoyed his introduction, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like uh, what is it, Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. I like him in, in pretty much everything I've seen him in. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to to keep watching him. Uh, this week I did uh, one night. Uh, well, <laughs> let's see. My wife and I. Wa- I watched. Because she watched the first half and I got home. I watched the last quarter of a movie called Beautician and the Beast. Oh, which that's she was watching on Netflix. On Netflix. Rusher movie? Yeah. yeah. They yeah. just added that on Netflix. So I saw the the last quarter of that and then the first quarter of uh, of Twins with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Me and, and Ruby actually Vito. watched that this week, too. So in your brain, you kind of stitched the two movies together. Yeah, so I, I now, own. that's exactly what I'm thinking about now is a, is a combination where Danny DeVito is... is you know hitting on friend Drescher or whatever uh i did <laughs> i'm not I, gonna do her laugh we, yeah. <laughs> you're you're in prime form though if yeah you really want to <laughs> go up, for it i mean no, if you're no. warmed up uh i did i do want to finish twins we just i ended up turning it off or it's really did. funny it's worth watching uh just the part where he the guy he tries to grab the bag from arnold and he falls down mm-hmm. and then he says uh uh, the pavement was his enemy or something yeah. like yeah, that's insane i also love uh movies where and there's a couple of them where this has happened uh where arnold schwarzenegger is supposed to be hyper intelligent yeah and that's this one, one of those and, movies uh, the one where he's pre- junior junior yeah, yeah. well which awesome. is sort of an unofficial sequel i guess yeah. the twins because right. denny DeV- but he's like hyper intelligent but he i mean i love arnold i have such a soft spot in I, my heart i was for telling i was telling ruby this not that long ago uh, i think that twins has a lot of love among people because uh the two uh the two uh hitmen that uh samuel jackson and john Travolta play in pulp fiction are named after the twins and twins oh, oh yeah, right, i didn't right. realize yeah. that yeah jules and vincent yeah oh that's uh that's awesome 
<laughs> I did not realize that. I gotta get a, I gotta finish Twins probably uh, some night this weekend. And then uh, I don't know how long it's been on Netflix, but um, uh, watch Spinal Tap again. Just they just at, re-added that. I just yeah. saw it in there, and it was like, oh, that looks like it would be great to watch. And it, it had been quite a while since I'd seen it. I sort of figured while we were getting ready to talk about soundtracks that Spinal Tap would be a good That's one. That's a good one, yeah. And there is none more black. Sure enough. It was absolutely as enjoyable as I remember. In fact, I thought it was even funnier than the last time I had watched it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then found myself uh, two nights or two days later uh, for Zia working at U-Fest out at Quail Run Park. <laughs> and we got there early on. Uh, there was It's a bunch of metal bands, yeah. none of which I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tremendous fan of, but uh, lots of nice guys that we hosted signings with. And uh, while the tech was setting up the stage, he did the riff from uh, Tonight We're Gonna Rock You from Spinal Tap. <laughs> and I don't know that I would have immediately been so amused by it had I not watched Spinal Tap. Like, I was like, oh, man. And then I was kind of hoping that he would start doing Big Bottom on the mm-hmm. or on the bass or whatever. And it didn't happen. But uh, Yeah, a whole night of tap. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> tap into America. Did you make a lot of new friends at that fest, white brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was... Uh, it <laughs> It was uh, it was a uh, it was a, a wonderful uh, overcast day. That's what I'll say. It was eighty five degrees and it was very nice. Oh. And the bands were seriously tremendously nice, uh, as were most of the fans. So it was Sweet. cool. But anyway, so soundtracks. Yeah, I mean, looking at something like uh, you know, this is Spinal Tap is a way to get into into that sort of vein. I mean, because I honestly the the early movie soundtracks I remember were from movies about bands like i still i i can remember the very first soundtrack i ever owned was uh the soundtrack to eddie and the cruisers oh, oh man yeah that's a great one my oh. mother was obsessed with that movie i love that movie that was one of my early early loves and i think i saw streets of fire but not see long the thing is I, well i have to i have to like interject there because um eddie and the cruisers my mom discovered that it who was it who michael parade no. Oh, the actual musician, the actual John musician. Rafferty, or yeah, I think Is that's. It- that's I think I it's know. I think it's Rafferty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was so disappointed because the, the Rafferty is, I guess, just butt ugly. Yeah. No, it doesn't come uh, close to like Michael Pere. Exactly. So she she had like this whole thing built up with Eddie and the Cruisers, thinking like right. there's a real band. Yeah. You got the soundtrack. You know they're going to go on tour and all that stuff, and then realized it was just this. You know. Dude. It's kind of like a Lyle Lovett. You're like, oh, Julia Roberts, man. She must have one hell of a guy. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I love, much- and I love Lyle Lovett, by the way. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's great. But, and he, but he's a very severe and strange looking dude. Which, yeah, uh, he some fit into hate. Twin Peaks very easily. Yeah, and uh, what is it? Uh, shortcuts. He's great mm-hmm. in Shortcuts, oh, yeah. along with Huey Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and Huey and Lewis Waits. is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny that when you mentioned that, that it's weird I wouldn't have jogged my thoughts that quick, but it's interesting that I probably discovered Richie Valens and Buddy Holly through La Bamba and oh, yeah. the Buddy yep. Holly right. story. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right as you said that, I wrote down La Bamba because it's the same thing yeah. for me. That was the soundtrack. That and Still America. waiting for that big bopper film, but... Yeah. <laughs> but it was the <laughs> same. True. It's, it's kind of similar because, like, I remember... I was thinking Los Lobos were like kind of like you know Lou Diamond Phil, and then it's like these you know big Mexican dudes like what <laughs> yeah who kind of came out of the whole punk scene yeah. and stuff like you wouldn't ne- not necessarily have connected those dots no. but um but the the 
scene where she's screaming you know richie my richie like I, I that's burned into my memory i remember what they showed it that's one of those movies they would show us like in grade school like i saw so many movies like you know oh we're gonna watch a movie today like huh. you would never watch that movie. i don't yeah i don't feel <laughs> i don't remember I, i'm sure we watched uh, other inappropriate things in grade school but mm-hmm. i don't remember Plus, that double feature with stand and deliver yeah we watched stand and deliver stand and deliver i did watch stand yeah. and deliver for sure yeah uh and it was uh it, it empowered me for sure <laughs> my ap history teacher in, in high school who was on tenure got in some serious shit for showing uh mississippi burning I, i'll never forget that Whoa. like he got in real trouble they were like that is not appropriate and it's like oh yeah it's not like that's what happened or anything like well, when glory yeah. came out they, any show they glory took us, mm-hmm. they took us to the theater to go see that as like a field trip but not only did we have to sign off on the field trip it had to sign off because it was a rated r movie yeah, yeah. as well wait so. about what grade you think uh when did it come out uh I 1989 or 90 i think i want to say somewhere around yeah, there I mean, well, yeah whatever I think it I came saw, out i saw it in junior high in, mm-hmm. in history and yeah i mean it's uh well to your point it, yeah it's pretty it's pretty brutal but uh you know history kind of is kind of brutal yeah. i guess unfortunately man our history is so offensive we need to not mention it you know pretty much uh, 89 89 oh, yeah there we go, go. Uh, but yeah, La Bamba was was huge. Uh, I grew up with La Bamba, and that soundtrack is is fantastic. Uh, and I I, re- I really love Los Lobos. But um, also American Graffiti was a huge one for mm. I don't know. I guess when you start thinking about your earliest memories, so much of it's dictated by what your parents watch. Yeah, and, well, a big part too. I was going to think of not to interject too quickly, but because it's a, a big subtopic to this discussion, but is that. It wasn't until I was probably a teenager that I was able to separate the understanding of what a soundtrack and a score was. Sure. Yeah, because sometimes sure. you'd buy the tape, most most common, the mm-hmm. tape, the record tape right. or CD. And, you know, I remember getting ones that were like a dollar and going, oh, God, I got it for a dollar. This is right, awesome. It right. was a score. Where are the and words? I, where are the songs? Because <laughs> I didn't have that. I mean, you right, have a sure. subtle appreciation. Well, I, I always think did especially for. people growing up in our generation probably had an early you know appreciation for scores just because of two movies star wars and superman sure yeah sure I, well in a big those part were some of my first LPs. was that yeah like i was saying music was expensive so you counted on soundtracks to get a lot of the songs you want like you know or hope to get like because obviously not all of them were on the soundtrack which right. is a whole nother issue but i mean i remember loving like back to the future totally got me into huey lewis obviously and a lot of that kind of stuff like but also like a, a you know a chuck Barry, you know, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I'd heard Johnny be good as a kid, but mm-hmm. didn't know it. But it's that kind of reinforcement. You're like, God, oh, it's such because you don't have any concept. Well, what's new or old? I think too, like in the '80s, and you'll if you you'll figure this out very quickly if you're a younger person listening to our podcast. That are you know, people, filmmakers, especially like Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, they grew up in the '50s, right. and of course. This is why 80s movies all are really fixated with the 1950s. Totally. Totally. Like, it, you, don't, you don't see that in movies in the 90s or the 2000s because at that point, I think it's when uh, filmmakers and music became more contemporaneous, especially stuff with like, you know, uh, Ben Stiller and like Reality Bites and stuff. Like he was, the soundtracks of his movies were what he was listening to now. But like, you know, you watch like a Steven Spielberg movie or even stuff like, you know, Stand By Me and all that. They're, these movies are telling an idealized version of 
of 1950. Yeah, especially since Stephen King has not left 1958 and pretty much 90% <laughs> right. of his books. I, I mean, mean I, and he freely admits it. So, of course, his films and everything have the same thing. Sleepwalkers. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, now filmmakers today are doing the 80s. Yeah. Everything is 80s there, now. Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely, that's a, there's a thing where there was all this, you know, referential, uh, you know, references to their to their youth and uh True. i mean uh american graffiti is the same way i mean happy days was i mean when i was a kid i thought happy days was like a show from the 50s yeah because it was like oh yeah oh clearly it must be but i mean i didn't i didn't have a, a good enough grasp well first i didn't really know what the 50s were when i was a really young kid yeah but i understood that it was from that era um you know, and, and, and American Graffiti is the same way. It was like uh, George Lucas, his love letter to Hot Rods and his mm-hmm. youth in Southern California. But so that soundtrack was was huge for me. But uh, you know, so so were Superman, uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. all John Williams, all stuff. the John Williams, all stuff. the. I mean, you can't escape that stuff ever, really. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. The well, John Williams is the Beatles of scores. Oh, yeah, easily. Basically. I mean, that's the best way I could ever describe it to somebody. Well, sure. I mean, and that, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of those movies, like, you know, Back to the Future, are just so iconic because they have that instant, like, dun 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 Yeah, know? Alan yeah. Silvestri is another yeah. one who's got that. You know, and, and like even, you know, horror movies, like we just watched Friday the 13th, like Harry Manfredini's, you know, right, right. theme for that is just so iconic. And it's just strange how like, I, I feel like, you know, as filmmakers and kind of soundtracks like come, come along, I think scores aren't so much uh, like trying to find that like essential hook, but trying to find like, uh, you know, a song or something that permeates that same kind of feeling you're trying to get through the movie. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. I always think when I think of scores is that it's another kind of important subtopic that we can talk on later. But is that difference between that, like, beloved theme and then the, the, the actual body of the score? Right. Which is, like, when you're a huge fan of the film, I mean, you know every cue. You know exactly mm-hmm. where that part is, even if it's sure. only, like, a 12-second loop. And um, and then to the other point, that that's uh, a great way to talk about Yep. There you go. Right. It's a great way to talk about the feeling of a film is, <laughs> is that with uh, picking a soundtrack. I don't think anything's been more successful in the, this last year than Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Which oh, pretty yeah. much hit it spot on on every note. So, yeah. Well, and it's weird because it, it tells you the power of movies to kind of like resurrect or reinvigorate music. I mean, these are all, all the songs on, you know, Awesome Mix Volume 1 are songs that you know they're standards i mean like you listen on any classic rock station but there's an entire generation of people who would never think to like listen to blue suede when you know like oh no i've got like you know death cab for cutie or like lady gaga on my ipod and they're hearing like blue suede like oh man this song is awesome why haven't i ever heard it before fooled around and fell in love and stuff like that yeah i mean but that's another example of uh of a of a filmmaker um uh, specifically referencing the music of his past yeah, or his, yeah. or his, or his well, that's youth. A, that's a great point. Well, we, we should probably stick to one of these topics and we got to explore it a little bit. Well, that's true. I, I mean, just, I, just on that tip, I can remember growing up as a teenager, the one filmmaker who instantly did that is Quentin Tarantino. Sure. Like the very Definitely. first time I like watched Reservoir Dogs, I was like, welcome to K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend. Right, you right. Know? And you're like, oh, wow, these songs I've never heard before. And then they're just like, you know, and then like 
Pulp Fiction came out and they had Urge Overkill re-record like Girl You'll Be a Woman soon and I I'd never heard like the Neil Diamond version obviously sure. and I'm like man I really like this song and that's a really good soundtrack all around yeah or you know I, I could just keep going on about this but what do you well miss? he's the guy too did it too I mean with the Kill Bill I mean that is like a huge part of the the aughts I mean yeah. it's that score yeah. Or that soundtrack. Well, I, I've, I think I've always been attracted to uh, filmmakers who sort of threw the music in their films. And Tarantino is a chief example, obviously. They sort of construct this... Um, uh, it's an alternate reality in which somehow their taste informs that world, you know? Mm-hmm. A good example, I guess, is Jim Jarmusch, where like if you watch a movie like... Um, uh, Broken Flowers, which okay. I really like that soundtrack. It's got the Ethiopics on it. And it's like all this great world music. But like when the uh, the thug redneck guys pull up to beat Bill Murray up for um, mm-hmm. for talking to one of the girls, I can't remember which of the the past loves it is. Oh, the one at the trailer. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that well, one. they pull yeah. up and they're listening to Sleep's Holy Mountain or something. And it's like in no real world do the backwoods hillbillies <laughs> listen to obscure doom metal, you know. Mm-hmm. But in Jim Jarm, dope it, smoker it, and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set. But yeah, in Jim's yeah. world, that's like that's not just the music. I mean, that that is the music. You know, that's pop music in this like self-contained world. And I mean, he does that a lot in in his movies, like Limits of Control, or um, I guess to some degree, uh, I don't. Dead Man. Dead Man would be the Neil Young's. Like, uh, that's 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 uh, among my favorite. You know, soundtracks. But it's this sort of um it's not what it's not western music but it is it's it's western music sort of in this weird neil young way where that's yeah. that's the sound of that world and so i think the best songwriters tarantino's or james gunn to a point you know um they they create this uh this world where sort of it's informed by their uh their taste and their uh their musical selections sort of say as much about them and then consequently the world they've created as it does um you know trying to reflect say reality whereas like back to the future might be yeah. more well i think another good example along the line of what you're thinking would be like a t-bone burnett soundtrack for and carter burwell's for uh the big lebowski oh yeah like mm-hmm. that's pretty very much like you you've got like the stranger telling you this mythical wor- oh, world yeah. of the dude where you're introducing people by like uh you know uh that's that one cover of the gypsy uh, king yeah the gypsy hotel king's california. cover of hotel yeah. california and it's just like introducing you to this like you think he's jesus is going to be this important character and it never really happens but it's just like a little window into this like weird little world yeah you know yeah the coen brothers do that mm-hmm. a, a lot and and t-bone burnett specifically yeah i mean the big lebowski soundtrack such a bizarre thing to even exist i love it mm-hmm. i mean you've got like moon dog you know like this american avant-garde uh you know uh, modern composer who was you know performed on street corners for a long time right alongside like you know the tumbling tumbleweeds or <laughs> uh or uh kenny rogers in the first edition i mean that's that's such a great example of like eclecticism as a uh, uh, sort of a unifying theme, which creates. I don't know what the Gypsy Kings, you know. Hotel well, I California. think it, it's no. The whole thing with that is just it's like, even though the characters don't hear it, it, it comes off later when uh, after uh, 
the dude uh, meets the the Hugh Hefner XB in that movie. He's Jackie, the, uh, Jack Jackie Treehorn. Treehorn, and you know he's in the cabin. He's like, oh, I hate the fucking Eagles. Yeah, yeah, you totally, know, it's totally. just like referencing like how the dude basically just repeats things other people hear earlier in the movie. Yeah, he also, he also roadied for Metallica. If you yeah, pay attention, he says that. <laughs> Yeah, the dude. speed of sound <laughs> tour. Speed of sound tour. Bunch of bad <laughs> As you were mentioning that, so then for, for me to add on to that, there were two things that popped in my brain. One of my most favorite soundtracks, I would, I, I think the movie came out uh, maybe around like 2005, 2000, no, maybe a little later. Anyways, There Will Be Blood. Oh, Johnny yeah. Greenwood, and it's such a, you, you wouldn't expect like such an esoteric um kind of hodgepodge of music just kind of thrown together um in in a very atmospheric way and in in sometimes a very intense way mm-hmm. that escalates you know whatever scene is happening at at some time and i remember buying the soundtrack and just listening to it just like non-stop just on loop in the car when i was when i used to have to drive to work like um you know at least like an hour and a half every day uh that one and ravenous which kind of has like the same feel to it mm-hmm. that was uh damon albarn of uh, blur oh yeah yeah, worked yeah. on that with and that's another just kind of just a really unsettling weird soundtrack that yeah. for ravenous i mean great fucking movie and then to add this soundtrack that makes you sick to your stomach at the same time oh yeah well it was really, so effectively done yeah there will be blood i think that's one of those movies where the score like not ratches it up that much better like right. the one scene where like the test well blows up yeah and uh he's just sitting there with like Siren Hines and he's like how's your son and it's like and like he just tells him well don't look so glum there's an ocean of oil under there and it's all ours so <laughs> and there's just all you hear is that like ratcheting soundtrack yeah. like I'm like yeah it's it just, just eerie it's well, eerie yeah. on the score side of things one of my favorites is in that kind of vein is um you know it's funny you always think of I mean obviously horror as I've mentioned on this podcast, and anyone who knows me is is where my heart lies. I but I think really caught on to that. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's weird. But I think that obviously horror scores and even sa- a few of the soundtracks. Um, uh, but I mean, you know, that's a huge part of the genre and whatnot. But one that I always mention, people they don't really think about it, but I go because I think it's in that subconscious is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. It's just this bizarre collection of sounds. There really is no, there is no official score. There is, it's never been released because they can't get off the 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 tape. You know, the magnetic. It, I mean, it's there. There's nothing they can do with it. But it doesn't even matter. I mean, it's it's so deeply linked with that film yeah i mean that sound that yeah it's like that that that's it's like some unholy cap from hell mm-hmm. but it's just it's where it goes into that um that i think is so important but it's weird when we were talking about you know it's interesting that yeah we talked about uh referencing quick back to the whole thing about being a kid is is that you you do like jason mentioned go kind of what your parents listen to and stuff like that or like what would be an acceptable soundtrack mm-hmm. and then it's like i also love the score music because it was you know sure. something i really like but it's like i think of the the soundtracks though from my generation and it's like the very first one i thought when i compiled this list was the crow oh. it's so completely like definitive i thought of that um singles is yeah. a huge the Paul Westerberg songs, especially in that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you know it was hugely popular, but I loved 
um, a lot of those ones. And then, uh, I'm sorry, there's one more. Uh, Dazed and Confused, Repo yeah, Man, yeah. Yep. The right. Lost Boys. Those were definitely like some of the big ones that I really got into. I, uh, Victor mentioned Reality Bites. I mean, you know, it was just such a... Div- but the Crow, I always think of as the most diverse collection of music. Like, it was just all over the place. Yeah, I remember that being a huge, huge soundtrack when that came out. Yeah, yeah I think I think The Crow was one of the first movies that really caught, like, the zeitgeist to, like, the post-grunge 90s. Like, right. you know, you realize every single... Almost every single band on there from, like, Stone Temple Pilots to like nine inch nails were like at that point where they were like up and coming bands but then they still had stuff like you know the cure and like like a lot more underground stuff like my life with the thrill kill cult so was that i'm guessing that was like an an atlantic interscope yes totally yeah it's like atlantic interscope tvt records put out a ton like that the mortal Kombat soundtrack it sounds like the weirdest thing but i go i was like tracy Tracy lord does music like you right. gotta be keen, but that's actually that's one of my song. favorite mm-hmm. like house kind of techno albums, mm-hmm. uh, the Thousand Fires one. Fires. Yeah, but uh, the other one that I always think about that is too is like Pantera's cover of the Badge by Poison Ivy, which actually got record mm-hmm. store day last year at Zia. Was the the original song and the uh, the Pantera cover? I love that cover, and it's like it got me interested in Poison Idea and a lot of like mm-hmm. early hardcore and stuff. So it's just interesting. What was yeah? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I just meant it's interesting. Kind of like actually, what you were touching on, Victor, is just kind of like not only is it the soundtrack some of what people are looking towards but I sometimes wonder yeah it's a label grab on occasion on the soundtrack side of things but occasionally you know filmmakers have big input into what oh, yeah. they do so it's sometimes what they're actually into at that moment well yeah because that's what basically I was where I was going with the Crow soundtrack where you know for the longest time it was like you know there'd be a movie that'd come out and it'd have like one song by like a, an established artist it'd be sort of like a theme like for example the James Bond movies always kind of did this kind right. of thing where they'd have you know a straight score and then they'd have like somebody do like the title track Duran, sure. Duran's View to Kill is exactly. the fucking hardest song ever Wing, the- you got Wings you've got <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah this is always a, yeah. always a theme the last one I think was maybe Adele or something was, yeah, yeah for Skyfall yeah. Yeah. yeah and then basically The Crow was the first one of these movies that just kind of like you know they had a really good score by Graham Ravel. I mean that the first Crow has a really good score. And I ha- that's one of the first ones where I actually bought the score and the album. But um, man, director- Graham Ravel was yeah. the man in the nineties. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he also did um, what's that? The ninety four Girl Witchcraft. Uh, craft. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, first. but um, great score, a soundtrack. Another, too. another the, good soundtrack. the cover of. Yeah. Uh, how soon is now I'll never oh, yeah. and the space hog song on that one too but yeah that was the one where Alex Proyas like worked every single song into the movie to kind of make this kind of like audio landscape and it was because the soundtrack did so well in the movie ended up being the sleeper hit where everyone thought it was going to bomb because of all the tragic sound you know aspects with Brandon Lee's death and everything right, yep. right. and it was you know supposed to cut it was delayed for an entire year not it, basically I, I would say it's probably the closest equivalent to the whole thing that just happened with fast and the furious seven where they kind of had to recut the whole movie to make it work right yeah right. but it, it that's what tipped everyone off like oh soundtracks this is actually something we can do especially at a time when the record industry was first starting to suffer you know at that point where you know yeah i mean i, I feel like to some to some degree especially in the 90s mm-hmm. it, it sort of um it predates maybe the industry woes and yeah and more accurately reflects the uh 
the insanity of the industry at its absolute height. You know, when labels were making CDs for a penny or something and making, you know, $19 profit on yeah. that. Because you'd get these soundtracks that aren't... Uh, uh, we've rightly referenced ones that pull it off very, very well and almost serve as sort of like a uh, an audio companion to the film. Something like The Crow... Or something like... What uh, were we talking about before Judgment Night? Well, yeah, we talked a little bit oh, about... Judgment, uh, Judgment Night. Yeah. We talked a little bit about how Judgment Night does like... A, I think the Judgment Night soundtrack is much better than the film. Like, mm-hmm. it's, right. it's awesome. I mean, you got a... Uh, well, it's not all awesome, but I mean, De La Soul and uh, and Teenage Fan Clubs, their their collaboration is incredible on it. Uh, Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth is, Helmet is fantastic. Helmet House of Pain. Uh-huh. Yeah, Helmet and House of Pain. There are some great... Some great um, collaborations on it and, and that's i guess one of those that's like the that's the positive side that's where like a, a film that's the creative side yeah exactly yeah. it creates a it creates a, a, a an audio companion to the film the crow is like that um for better or worse a movie like garden state is like that yeah where they i mean you can no no no, no. yeah but we I mean, talked it's, about it's, garden state it still creates that <laughs> yeah i mean it still creates this sort of like extension of the film's uh theme or uh just general style but then also in the 90s you start to get this just like you're throwing anything onto in, onto one CD oh yeah I, with I think, one big hit you know like the the goo goo dolls or something yeah. do like the city angels city of angels and then there's a bunch of other songs oh on look that. at all oh, the batman soundtrack song was like, awesome yeah all the one. batman soundtracks well, so, so batman forever I, in preparation for this i pulled up a few of them because <laughs> uh i mean the first two the, okay batman the original tim burton batman with an incredible prince soundtrack yeah i i'm a huge fan of that oh, soundtrack yeah elfman is I actually put that under my fabulous disasters. Oh, oh. so you, so you're not a, you're not a huge fan. Well, we're the, we're the same age. Yeah. So you know we saw Batman at the same time. I'm from Minnesota, right? I'm, Maybe so I'm a little bit jaded as far as well. Sure, sure. You know the Prince is because everybody assumes that if you're from Minnesota, oh, you must love Prince. So I'm not from Minnesota, and I do. I love everything. But, the, the thing was, it was. I just remember because that came out. I don't know when I was maybe like thirteen, fourteen years old. Eight and eighty-seven was that when the first Batman? No, eighty-nine. Okay. Yeah, eighty-nine. So, yeah. so I was like fifteen. But I was so excited to see it, and I did like it at the time. But the whole the whole thing surrounding the the Prince thing just seems so weird well and clearly like it didn't fit clearly it didn't fit because the next film uh foregoes any sort of uh big pop no it does have one it has a Susie and the banshees oh wait that's in uh in batman Batman returns Returns, the the last song yeah over the credits i do remember that now but for the most part it's not became a big thing too always in film was the the big single at the end of the credits right. was always right. like, Oh, yeah, you didn't hear it so, throughout the whole film. You just heard it at the end credits. Sure. So, I mean, to go back to, to Batman, yeah. obviously the Prince songs are integrated into the film. You yes. The Joker dancing to... Uh, what is it? Is it black, black and white? Or I can't remember. Yeah, the, it, I think it is. You got that. And then the... Uh, and then there's like the love theme. Uh, I can't remember what that song is. But called. there was also the non sequitur that wasn't even on the, in the movie. That right. was the lead single, Bat Dance. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. At any rate, which was an, <laughs> which always amazed me that to... Prince wrote a novel, basically a novelty song. Yeah. I mean, that was not. 
I mean, it's weird to think of that point in the late early '90s when novelty songs actually hit back sure, pretty yeah. hard. Now that I think about it, yeah. So maybe see, well, that- no, and that song is even constructed into the movie because Jack Nicholson's Joker references it after it's playing during the parade. Hubba hubba hubba. Who do you trust? And I know there was that level of kind of absurdity with with the Batman film, but the thing ramping up to when that film came out is we wanted to see uh, Dark Knight Returns, right? And so yeah. to have kind of this goofy prince thing going on with yeah. his videos and everything you got kind of prince. making more light out of it i was kind of like stop yeah. making a joke out of this you got prince and michael keaton who at that point still almost everybody yeah. considered a comedic actor right, right. so right. I, mean, yeah. I think the idea was this is going to be uh adam westy or or not the gritty and i wanted to get as far away from that reboot. sure and joke and then of course in in context of the original span of batman movies it is the grittiest most well that maybe the first two are the grittiest and then it goes 100% off the deep end which yeah, is where those soundtracks yeah. which is where the soundtracks I think become super interesting because you get yeah, uh, but you sing Kiss from a Rose yeah. all the time oh that's what I'm saying yeah, yeah that's like, all I don't even I, deny I, uh, well yeah that's a that's a perfect example because that was the big hit you know it was on a Seal album yeah. but I never owned the Seal but, album no, but R. What? Kelly just couldn't follow it up in Batman Robin Oh, you're right. The it Gotham was him. City. You're oh right. God, no! That song was vi- massively popular, though. God, I still remember the video for Gotham, it on Gotham TV. City. Yeah, but it was nowhere near "Kiss from a Rose." Well, but it is interesting, but that it that... was trying to be. Oh yeah. Was, oh, that was, Kelly this was... Is the ki- but then there was also that U two song, uh, like Batman and Robin, very much kiss had me, the kill, kill me, me yeah. throw me, throw me. Yeah. yeah. But um, that was also, I mean, but I mean, R Kelly was at like Space Jam well, he level. He could not top that. He had already done. He had already had his his uh, soundtrack yeah. uh stand that's out weird to think about something like that like i worked in a movie theater i was in high school when space jam came out and it's crazy to meet kids who are younger probably would have been about 10 years younger than me the very millennial generation like space jam is their one of their top 10 soundtracks easily that's, and no no matter what like you can ask any of them i mean that is so it's it, 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 I'm it, I don't cast that as some kind of insult. I sure, just mean you realize sure. what movies they grew up with. I mean, like the Lion King soundtrack is definitely number one. Like right, and right. then you know a lot, of, but even like Pokemon the movie. We found that in a 99 cent bin at Zia Vegas on tour, and actually I bought it for a buck, and I was like, okay, let's put this thing on and. Our bassist and guitarist are literally singing the whole thing. Like, <laughs> wow. They're like, oh, I love this record, man. I haven't heard that in forever. And I'm like, I was in college when this came out, but that's cool. <laughs> like, but it is, it, that's a big part of it, too. It was, and that's kind of like what you're sure. talking about how the industry, there was a lot of slapdash stuff. But my favorite, I'll make a quick comment, especially somebody from the hardcore and death metal community, was there was a period in the early to mid-aughts where um, tons of like the UV Bowl films, like Alone in the Dark, they basically just called up Nuclear Blast, Metal Blade, Century sure, Media, sure. the big metal yeah. labels, and there was that was the whole soundtrack. And I'm going, I don't remember hearing Napalm Death in any... I heard Napalm Death in Mortal Kombat probably more than I heard it in this, uh, sure. this film. Well, so. I remember like... Uh, manga video the company that put out stuff like ninja scroll and all that on 
on video, you'd see like the video, the movie would start and they'd have the reel of all their upcoming stuff. Right. And it would just be TVT records. It'd be like, uh, gravity kills and KMFD. I remember yeah. KMFDM and bile in, the, was in like the street fighter. Yeah. Uh, the street fighter anime that I, that yeah. I watched when I was in same company, sixth grade yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just to touch on that. What Kirby was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think with something like Batman forever to jump back to that idea, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually kind of super fun to listen to. It's it's accidentally kind of brilliant, you know. You've got oh yeah, because like, they had the bands record new songs for like right. when Robin steals the Batmobile and he's listening to the Offspring do a cover of "Smash It Up" by the Damned. Right, right. It's, and it's only in there for like thirty seconds, so you have to know what it is. I'm like, and you've got. I mean, I I I first heard. I mean, Nick Cave through a you know the Batman Forever soundtrack. I didn't. Like, I didn't have a Nick Cave record. You know. I always think of. Uh, Red right hand, right from yeah, uh, Scream. Hellboy Scream. and Hellboy, Hellboy yeah. in both. Yeah, but that, I mean that is the mo- that is the theme of Scream without sure, unintentionally. Sure. Even though Marco Beltrami did the score, that's uh, the- which was recently actually expanded. But that is a great score. That is a band like uh, Bird Brain who did uh, Youth of America or whatever. That song is right. like I remember listening to that going, this band is really good, and you know just never did much. But that was another one that had some great songs. The um, don't fear the reaper acoustic song it was right, like gus right. gus i think who did that yeah yeah so it's just like oh. but it is interesting too though one last quick point is is that one of the things about soundtracks especially in the 80s and 90s how important it was that original material by artists was on oh, there i got a perfect one for that um do you guys remember interview with a vampire yeah. Ooh, the Guns and Roses. Yeah, the Guns and Roses, co- and they did the same thing for End of Days, where that was the official oh, debut of the was. new Guns and Roses. Yeah, from the <laughs> from the album that was dropping eminently. Yeah, in, Chinese any, at any minute. It's it going to come out at any it's, point. It's, yeah, it's going to come. It's going to come out. Still yeah. waiting for my Dr Pepper. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. I mean, end of days. I think uh, you. We've talked about TVT. I mean, Wind Up became the label that did that stuff. I think oh wind yeah, up, wind the up very first Daredevil movie was the first Evanescence song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that was, wind up uh, did the. Uh, I feel like Wind Up did for sure. They did. Uh, um, Bring maybe, me to life, Adam. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Wait. Did they? Have, did, I think maybe they did. Uh, was it Stigmata? That was Billy Corrigan, but yeah. I remember. Anyway, yeah. So they became a label that put out soundtracks. They did a, um, got the early see the early two thousands and the and the nineties sort of blur together for me. Because oh yeah, stuff like uh like the well little, Stigmata the, was nineteen ninety nine. No, yeah. right. End of days was two thousand. Yeah. Or no, it's actually the end of nineteen ninety nine. That was the whole yeah, point. It was that the was, end of days. That was the right. year that Gabriel Byrne <laughs> yeah. played the devil in everything. Basically, right. I feel like I feel like soundtracks were the way in which the the labels. Um, foisted new metal on everybody they just decided it was gonna be because all the uh i mean like little nicky do you remember the sound it was all bad new metal oh right uh, but, yeah, yeah but that was a lot was and then there's like i mean metal. the pinnacle of that you could also say in a way it was the queen of the damned soundtrack right where you actually had jonathan davis right do the songs you right. know and no, yeah yeah i don't know if you were gonna hit this yeah jonathan davis did all the songs in the movie but because he was on a different label they had to have bands record covers of the songs jonathan davis did for the I, movie i did not realize that yeah so like one of the songs in there i think redeemer on the soundtrack it's marilyn manson another one it's um 
God, like Disturbed does one of the other songs. So it's like the best of the worst of new metal. <laughs> wow, that's so weird. <laughs> one other weird one I was going to think about when Jason's talking about that that blurry part of the late 80s, early 90s, or late 90s, early aughts was that um, I definitely remember um, having a friend who was mostly like really into hardcore and stuff like that, punk, didn't really enjoy stuff, but got huge into the EDM kind of scene and all that kind of avant-garde stuff through um, Pie and Requiem for a Dream. Right, And those right, were right. like huge score so it's not oh, yeah. my mansell from pop will eat itself yeah yeah right. i mean that was that era of like you know the prodigy atari teenage riot that kind of stuff i mean sure uh, orbital and all that i mean i just remember being huge but it's interesting but those scores specifically like the idea of an electronic music score not synth not that right. kind of thing well, was yeah. was definitely that period where that really hit hard like well, if and, you look to it stuff like uh like the spawn sit and spawn the movie that was kind of like Judgment movie. Night part But yeah, two. basically exactly. they like hoisted the Judgment Night uh, idea where it's like, well, let's pair like electronic artists with like metal. So you had like the Sneaker Pimps and Marilyn Manson and like, right. was right. it like Metallica and somebody else? It was like really like, and Atari Teenage Riot was on that too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 It was Chemical Brothers with Corn, I think. They're the Dust Brothers, you know. Was that? Yeah, I think period? it was the Dust Brothers. The Dust Brothers, yeah. One of the brothers. Yes, one of the, one of the, the Dust brothers. brothers did the soundtrack and Fight the Club. score for Fight Club. Exactly. Yeah, sure. So there was. I mean, that period. That's one of the things I also really think of at that time was that that emergence of not only electronica, quote unquote, here air quotes, right. but also that I mean, just that 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 could be a film score or that could be a film soundtrack which was not conventional at the time i mean sure it, bl- it blurred the lines between that idea of score and uh you know music from the motion picture or whatever however it's labeled uh yeah but i mean also i mean it's weird to even think about that when i was a kid never no obviously never never owned it never a fan but i mean like what was the bodyguard the most best-selling soundtrack of all time yeah, it's yeah. Based on one single right you right. know and it's like but it's interesting that it, but i mean i think that record had a few more hits Which you know some more yeah of winnie you know winnie uh, houston, houston, houston cover, the dolly, dolly parton, parton cover but i mean mm-hmm. you, you have to think which was from point. another movie it was yeah uh, it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it's from the best little house in texas that's yeah you're right I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you are right. My favorite, one of my favorite songs. No joke, no tuck cock or anything. I <laughs> love uh, "Goodbye Horses." Is one of my all time favorite oh, songs. Q Lazarus and, and Q Lazarus did. Yeah. And Jonathan Denny put that song on "Married to the Mob," "Silence of the Lambs." I think it was <laughs> right. on like two or three other um, scores he soundtracks he put out. So it's interesting too to see how somebody could try to elevate an artist. I mean, it's um, what's uh, Lisa Loeb would stay. That was literally. Oh, yeah. Reality bites again. Picking picking that up. I mean, right. launch the career of somebody. So definitely interesting. And well, this concludes part one of two episodes in regard to cult following with special guest Jason Woodbury discussing film soundtracks. Part two will be posted on Monday, April twentieth, two thousand fifteen. So, what do you think so far? Comment at cultfollowing.co. Remember that Record Store Day is coming up this Saturday, April 18th, as is a cult classics screening of Purple Rain at Pollock Tempe Theater. Find more information and tickets at cultclassicsaz.com. Our guest host, Jason Woodbury, can be heard on the Audio Ranch, found at mixcloud.com backslash audio ranch radio. 
We also can't give enough praise to our cult-following theme song composer, John Mapes. His music can be found at johnmapes.com. Thanks for listening.